Purple Elephant shower thought of the day. Trying to get rich by playing the lottery is like trying to commit suicide by flying on commercial airlines. Delta, am I right? This is Purple Elephant Radio, where we hear about storytelling, originality, and creativity from the creators who are actually making something matter. I'm your host, Sean Green. This summer, I've been working on a big project, a book, a book for creatives, for artists, for content creators. This book is called Purple Elephant Artist, art and essays for creatives. With the help of some wonderful people, Sveta Wannenberg, Jada Bennett, and Olivia Childs, we have made something awesome. You know, I think there are an abundance of online courses and books that revolve around teaching specific skills whether it's marketing tactics or actual techniques when it comes to creative mediums. But what I think is underrated is the mindset behind creativity, the psychology, the philosophy, the why of why we create. So really what this whole book is revolving around is what are the mindset shifts you need to make? What are the questions you need to ask yourself? The questions only you can answer. Your original work without feeling like you have to mimic someone. My whole intention for this thing is to prove to you that you are capable of creating, of being creative. And I hope that it will inspire you to create your own brand, your own art, your own stories. So please check the link in the description. Go on Amazon, either pre-order or order that book, depending on when you're hearing this. And I promise you, it will be worth your while. We are into part two of the fourth section of the book, the the bonus content for the Purple Elephant Artist. Part two is going to be focused on the content creator side. How do you build structures to monetize your art? And maybe it doesn't look like monetizing your art, but monetizing teaching. Um, What are all the options for a creative to kind of sell their work, sell their ideas in a way that allows them to make art that matters, make change that matters, and also sustain themselves, financially speaking. And again, I'm joined by Sveta Wannenberg, who has been a major contributor in terms of creating illustrations for the Purple Elephant Artist book. And I I strongly urge you to listen to part one, but if you're just joining us, I don't think you're going to miss out on much. I think you'll really enjoy this conversation. To start, I'll I'll just open up with a question, and Sveta, I want to hear your thoughts. A book and a blog, does the world need both? The novel and the 200-word post. Do they need both? Do they need both? I think they do. Do we want the long form and the short form? Yeah, I think it's just like the book and the movie. Some people are going to only consume one. Some are going to do both. Some are going to find the other from consuming one if they're related. But I, I believe that both should exist and need to exist because both apply to two different people but then the venn diagram of like some people it's going to be they need both so yes and what would that look like for someone like you as an artist what would that equivalent be what would the book be what would the blog be for you um gallery painting versus magazine cover or gallery painting versus for something you want to do oh like 
what would be my yeah like an illustrated book i mean a children's book i mean what would that look like for you very personally yeah um a fully illustrated book versus a small editorial illustration in a magazine so like a a two-hour illustration versus a year project Mm -hmm. and i think both for me i would need both just to see that i can communicate one whole article in a little section and people can that's a bigger audience that I'm applying to or this fully illustrated book that is more in my realm of what I want and it's only going to pertain to a couple people or Mm. hopefully a lot more people but a smaller group obviously but those people are going to be better like they're going to love it more Mm. than that small illustration yeah and I would even say like a daily post on Instagram or you Mm -hmm. know every other day I would consider that the equivalent as well like no one's going to live by that one post no one's going to be like this is what I'm waking up to look at yeah but and I think that's an important thing to realize for a creative of any medium is that social media, no matter how much time you put into it, mm-hmm. that can't be the place that you stake your identity. Right. And this is where, you know, with the influencers who are, you know, getting paid to market products because of their following, I think that's, you know, that's very creative way to, to make money and it, it works. But what about the second a, a new social media comes? And we cannot, like, assume that Facebook will be here 20 years from now. Yeah. Maybe it will because they keep innovating and they're kind of realizing that the only thing, the only certainty is change. Right. And I think a lot of these social media companies are waking up to that. But I hope, I, I'm pretty confident that we're going to have kind of our following on the blockchain. And I don't know how that will look like, but basically that'll mean our followers aren't tied up to one social media and we can use their platform, but really we control our audience in terms of, in a similar way of like your email list on something like MailChimp. MailChimp doesn't own your email. The people who have signed up to hear your work, that's yours. You earn that. And right now we don't have that for followers on social media, but I think we'll get there and I don't know what that will look like. And I think it's going to have to be like a a public outcry, essentially, of creators saying, let me move my followers off of Twitter and just getting really pissed off. Right. Because I I think Instagram is should just be a tool to find other people. I think it's used for more than that and for more superficial ways than that. Um, But I, I was thinking of this influencer, Orion. I don't know her last name, but her name's cool enough that you should know if you know who she is. But she's a very, like, uh, a fashion-orientated influencer, um, very minimalist. But she just, she came out with this poetry book. And so that's a good example of, like, she's an influencer. And it it seems superficial sometimes because people are basing superficial thoughts of, like, I want to be like her. But she obviously has, like, a side thing where she's writing and, like, publishing. And she's a real creator a real person and she's using this influencer route to gain her audience but she's not relying solely on that to for satisfaction yeah and i think realizing that really any creative endeavor cannot be necessarily a long-term strategy and maybe you can disagree with me on this of you know let's say you're really focused on building your instagram audience for you know five years and you really get up to a a really solid number. If you're solely basing kind of your your income off of 
selling, you know, working with brands and kind of doing that instead of creating some work of your own that people are willing to pay for. I think there's going to come that day where maybe you say the wrong thing and lose a lot of followers or just people move on. I mean, trends come and go all the time. And people need to be like, they need to like you for something other than a product. That's why influencers work because people like them and then they're like, oh, they use that product. So if you just fall into the influencer and almost like being a tool for companies, mm-hmm. people are going to see through that. You need to have a base in what like your set yeah. and have interests that other people relate to. So then they, they treat you as an influencer and do what you do. Yeah. And this episode is about the content creator. So the content creator doesn't always look like the influencer just, mm-hmm. you know, posting pictures of themselves, you know, in fancy places. Right. Um, I think the content creator can also look like a person working for other businesses or, you know, writing blogs that kind of get the hits, um, mm-hmm. hitting on those keywords. And to me, I think that I don't like that. I've always been kind of repulsed by that to create that stuff of creating listicles, creating kind of clickbait articles. And people have done it. And clearly it's working. Clearly there's that incentive. And I don't think that's going to change very soon. Really, the people who do that, I think their only vision for gaining an audience is selling ads. And when you do that, A, you kind of lose touch with your audience. You never have that close connection that really matters that they're looking for. And B, I think you miss out money-wise. I think if you are not figuring out a way to sell something, a product to your audience that you think they deserve, and instead letting kind of whatever ads float into your website or, you know, whatever, you're doing them a disservice. If you're basing your income off of, you know, let's just say Coca-Cola ads on your website and now everyone's drinking soda because you recommend them. Why not sell an online course teaching someone, you know, a certain art technique and make your money that way so you don't have to sell soda as kind of your, the way to sustain the art you're making. So that brings up the thought that we as artists and content creators need to sell something besides ad space. Mm -hmm. And even if you're small, I'm very small in terms of, you know, I haven't been doing it that long and I'm not at that following that I can really kind of monetize, but always be thinking about something to sell besides ad space. I'm curious, what are your thoughts about that? Have you thought about that personally? Yeah, well, monetizing should not be a quick fix. And if it is a quick fix, you should be very wary about, is it going to be long-term damage? And like the ad space, if you're, if somebody's like, oh, I'll pay you to put my ad on your website. And you're like, that was really easy. You should be very sus about, this might be bad long-term. I might actually lose more followers if people think I'm kind of a cheapskate or just trying to get rich quick. So I think the slower process is almost better because you have that time to really think about what you want and what you want to communicate and what you want other people to buy from you or from other people. And that's like when I listen to podcasts and they have their sponsors, you know, I really like think about what they're sponsoring. And if they're sponsoring just random things every, every episode, I kind of hold that podcast to a lower standard Mm -hmm. than if it's like the same two companies that this artist uses believes in and like I can clearly see that this is such a good 
thing that they're trying to sell me and because that shows that they respect me as a consumer and they respect themselves as an artist to wait for that sponsor and ad to come across so yeah I think ads are I don't I'm not against sponsorships or ads but I think they're very clear it makes it clear to see the artist's intentions yeah and as an artist you need to be aware of that yeah and I think sometimes it's not always obvious what's going to be the best brand to fit with your brand to work with your personal brand because I think uh, of something like uh, a health-oriented podcast it's like oh health stuff there's nutrition products all over the the board Um, so there's always gonna be a place for that and I think for artists it kind of gets a little bit smaller filmmakers yeah there's always gonna be some kind of new camera product but when it comes to someone like a 2d artist Mm -hmm. I think it gets a little bit harder and It's that question of, well, I mean, we're talking about advertising now, but I think this really is an overarching thought of whether you sell it yourself or, you know, work with another brand, but is it a product or a service? What makes more sense for what you're doing? Because I think of something like collage, a collage artist, um, who's, what makes sense for them? Right. I mean, I don't really know the answer to that. I think a good parallel is good because well a collage artist needs to sell their their prints and that's the service that they're selling is that they're, call that a product if it's physical prints well their service is making the collage oh yeah so i'm kind of thinking of it as a creative product that they're making paired along with let's say there's an eco-friendly notebook or eco-friendly paper mm-hmm. that prints out cool designs that you can collage from, they could sponsor that company. But they shouldn't just make collages and then sponsor that one company because then they become almost like a, a warehouse distribution for that company. Yeah. You need to have a part of you also selling and yeah. monetizing. And I think it's okay if maybe that is a branded channel and maybe they truly just hire you to be their kind of yeah. Instagram creator. And yeah. you know that's totally fine. But I agree with you. If you're doing a personal brand, you know, don't be bound to one. Right. Mon- don't be bound to one source of income or monetize. Because if you have multiple, then you're not relying on one solely. Mm-hmm. So let's say that, and I said the paper company because the two-dimensional artist kind of does have limited things that they could support. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't have like the equipment and things that they yeah. need. So they can lean into other values that the artist holds, like, environmental and you can do like a black supported product and support that or have that sponsored and then it also shows more value through the artist but then also sell something that you made with it and this is where i think there's a crossover with thinking about economics and in finances and this is something that i really like learning about and i think that's kind of the fun part of having this one foot in creativity, one foot in business, entrepreneurship, and finances, it really brings up the thought of with economics, you know, how much does it cost what you're selling? If you're selling a a $5 pack, then you have to sell a lot of those. Yeah. But if you're selling a $100, you know, piece of equipment that could help you, we're assuming that whatever is being sold is very useful and not kind of cheating the audience. If you're selling something for 100 bucks then you can kind of get away with selling less of those. And so I think that's something that has to be considered of, yeah, maybe you sell something really cheap. Maybe your Patreon, you give a lot away for a buck. 
but that means you're going to have to have a lot of patrons. And so I think this is just a simple, really a simple thought of always find the low, medium, and high tier, Mm -hmm. whether that looks like a Patreon or working with multiple brands or, you know, selling your own products or services. Well, I was just listening to, it's called Three Point Perspective, Mm -hmm. and they were talking about just the psychology of, like, I think they went to a Comic-Con and they were trying to figure out how to price their work or do you show your prices and the pros and cons of artists who don't show their prices people start to think like oh it's so expensive I can't afford that or do they think like I love this so much I don't care what price it is and just having both of those audiences so they were saying at the beginning of a comic-con or art show or art fair or whatever um, usually you start lower priced and you build up that that flow of audience and people are like, oh, it's only 10 bucks, 20 bucks. And they start buying that. And then towards the end of the conference, they shoot their prices up. And not only does that kind of, it's almost a backwards thinking, but not only does that bring in people and like, this is valuable because it's your art. And so adding price to your art and more price to your art, you're adding value to your art because you're in charge of that. You made it. And more people are going to see that. Like you hold yourself high enough to be like, I made this. It's worth this. And people are going to respect that. And now we're getting into the psychology of pricing, Mm -hmm. which is also really interesting. And I think as long as the, you know, product or service is worth it, I think a higher price, people kind of assume that means more value. Um, You know, as long as you and this is also a confidence thing. If you believe in your product, if you believe that whether it's a selling prints or something like that, or, you know, maybe you're selling a service and I don't know exactly, maybe your tutorial, if you really believe in your work, you kind of need to price it higher because if you give away something for free, I think, you know, when everything's free, everything's becoming free digitally. Um, you can get a lot of stuff just putting your email down on some list, you know? Yeah, yeah. They're going to treat it the price that it is. So if you price your thing at $50, people are going to frame it. They're going to treat it like it's a $50 piece. Yeah. If you treat it, if you price it free and give them out, they're going to be, people are going to be sketchy either. There's like that middle ground that people like, but if it's under $5 or whatever, and if it's over $200, they're going to be wary of it. So you need to find that middle ground, I think, where people respect your work, but they can also attain it yeah and you know i've been talking about tutorials basically services versus products and i think on the product side it's what what's been done has been done for a while Mm -hmm. um and i think now there's plenty of companies which are really great that you know you can create t-shirts you can create posters something like redbubble where you don't have to pay to print that stuff i mean you pay a little fee when someone else buys it um, and I forget what that's called, but like print on demand, mm-hmm. because that's so common, it makes it so, I mean, even if you have zero followers, might as well set up a shop because right. there's no downside. Right. And since it's so easy, people aren't going to be like, wow, a t-shirt. They're already kind of numb to the fact that you can get something printed on a t-shirt. Mm-hmm. So then they're going to be more focused on, oh, a t-shirt with this on it or like, you know, with well, the red bubble. I was even going to say, because everyone, you know, has their designs on a t-shirt and has them on posters, I feel like you as the content creator, or the artist, have to find a way to create scarcity in your work where I think, you know, 
and I don't want to go too deep into this, but with NFTs, you know, maybe they're worth it, maybe they're not. That's not the conversation right now. But really, by allowing them to create scarcity with their art, which really been their only opportunity. Yeah. I mean, and I've seen it done where they only print out a certain amount of prints, so there's some scarcity there. But mm -hmm. with NFTs, it allows you to digitally create st scarcity. Right. Um, and who knows if that will is just a trend, just a fad, or if it will be here to stay. I think it'll it'll develop further because to a more understandable thing where people understand it. Because I think the biggest thing with NFTs is that it took a, a couple hours of research to figure out what it is and if it's even worth it. So I yeah. think what it's lacking is the communication and the simplicity of other people understanding this. Because a concrete print where, because like, screen printers or etching artists will etch something make 25 of them and then cross out the etch plate so you can never make another one and that's like a very concrete visual example of there's only 25 that exist of these prints and no one else and so the value goes up obviously because you can't recreate it and i think people kind of get lost on the digital nft scarcity yeah i mean i really think if we're looking longer term the only way that it's going to become, you know, kind of mainstream yeah. is if we really spend more of our time in VR and VR gets, you know, mass adoption mm -hmm. and people spend, you know, as much time as they do on a computer yeah. with their VR headset. And then I could see it making yeah. sense. It's just like internet. The more exposure and more people get to use it, the more we understand it. Yeah. So I completely agree. But what I wanted to bring up with the, you know, obviously we know people sell prints, t-shirts, thinking about the creative ways to sell stuff. And this is where services come in because I think just classically, and again, this kind of brings up the sketchy entrepreneur selling their online course. So I have to be wary of it, but creatives, I think teaching courses is becoming a little bit more mainstream. I mean, I, I see it in the videographer world. So maybe you have a different impression as just, you know, you're more in the two-dimensional art world, but I wanted to talk about, you know, brainstorming or just considering what are some not obvious products or services that a creative could make, sell. Yeah, well, and, and again, I don't want to limit your mindset to just a, a 2D artist, just a filmmaker, you know, someone like a a content creator chef yeah. could have their own thing. So I'm, I'm wondering just if the sky's the limit, yeah. what, what, is something outrageous that you haven't seen or maybe you've seen it like one time? Yeah. Um, well, I did see, I was watching this video of alternatives to art school and it kind of makes me angry because there's so many online schools for art and just, just courses called how to illustrate your first self-published book that I would never run across in college, like that course. And just seeing those opportunities and courses for artists that don't want to go to art school or don't want to spend all that money and you have to pay for them but having that resource and seeing that they exist and I, this video just went through like like 20 different sites where they have different platforms of teaching they're like school sites mm -hmm. but just seeing that makes me so excited that other people can find what i'm looking for and didn't have to kind of create myself or create by combining books and movies and stuff like that to find about education for illustration. And so t I think a crazy thing that I could create is 
going through art school and knowing those challenges that aren't presented at art school and kind of making, I, I thought about this like reels of, or short videos of just what they don't teach in art school, which is a common starting to become a big thing. But specifically, because I think specificity is like a big thing that people need to focus on yeah. if they want to create something that other people relate to. Um, but things that they don't teach you in art school about illustration or self-publishing or marketing and things that I've learned, like doing your first self-published book with someone that isn't really a writer, but is a fifth grade teacher and the pros and cons of that. What are good? What are bad? What will go wrong? Yeah. What you probably should learn before, like, oh, you should learn InDesign and make sure you know different types of text that are, um, there's a text that is sciencey, but educational, but not scary for kids to see because there are other texts that are if a kid Font. sees it fonts yeah right. if a kid sees it they're not, not going to want to read it because yeah. and it's weird to think about that as an illustrator mm -hmm. but I think making for me videos that I wish that I had going into a project yeah. um, but I think I do need to go through art school and go through those kind of shitty projects sometimes to know what I'm other people should know yeah and I think it infuriates me the fact that I can't take a marketing class even if I wanted to really? at Mizzou. Yeah, because I, I'm i just not in the business school. Yeah, that's ridiculous. The fact that essentially colleges, universities limit combinational creativity where you can't – unless you know you pay extra and get a minor and take a ton right. more classes, right. which I'm just not going to do and I can't. Or like getting into that animation class. Yeah, it was a struggle for you. Much work. It took like 12 emails. And I think it was like three weeks of just communicating to different teachers and higher ups that I'm like, hey, I want to do this. You don't even have an illustration program. Can I at least take this animation class? I know I'm not in digital storytelling, but like you and I have so much in common in our art path, creative paths in our schools. We go to the same school, but the schools that we're in are separated. Yeah. So I completely agree with that. And there's no marketing. Like, I think you're closer to the business in marketing so not. you're not yeah because um with digital storytelling and really it represents film production too but we don't learn anything about videography yeah and truly i mean unless you want to be a production assistant and kind of work on sets which many people do so i'm not going to knock that but if you want to go your own route you've got to figure it out on your own there's no there's not even a day spent talking about wedding videography i mean even if like my teacher just made like a one-time PowerPoint presentation yeah. about something like that, which if you could get into wedding videography, which uh, it's not the easiest thing in the world, but if you could get into it, right. you could essentially sustain yourself. You could live a life and work on your creative projects. And yeah. I really think teachers, just the teachers that I've had, they don't teach the the idea of maybe you want to be a kind of indie artist where you're kind of doing everything on your own. But if you want to do that, how do you find the job in your medium yeah. that allows you to kind of practice your skills, but maybe there's compromises. And that's what it means to be a content creator right. of I'm still using a camera. You're still using your, you know, Procreate app or a, a paintbrush, yeah. but you're doing it to get paid. You look at it as money and yeah. the, the byproduct is you could improve your craft, yeah. but you're doing it to get paid, not because you are seeking that out right 
And I think it, it's important to remember that teachers sometimes can't provide you with everything because they haven't experienced everything. And that's why I think the the online courses and tutorials, like somebody would pay to know what you went through and like your wedding videography, just if you made a video on that or something like a blog, because I know you have, but something where someone was like, what is something I can do with a camera? And you're answering those questions. And then you said like the chef, like what would they make? Yeah. They could make something about going through the food school and not being taught how to make nutrition labels and not being taught like all the food laws. Because that's what I've learned from working with my job is that there's so much backlog. Regulation. Yeah, there's so much, like so much of a process that people have to go through to get their food on a shelf. And yeah. let's say a chef tried to get their salsa on a shelf and had to go through all of this BS to get there. They can make a video on their struggle through that. So someone going through food school could find that video and be like, oh, I can now like learn how to cook. But I also know these different struggles and like learn from other people's mistakes. Yeah. And I so. think that's really what what makes up the Skillshares, the, the Lynda.coms is yeah. those basic struggles of I went to the, the status quo university and, you know, now I'm not getting – I didn't find what I wanted. I had to seek it out on my own. And that's really where – why someone makes a course, they found something on their own. Yeah. Uh, they, they ask questions that they answer themselves. That's how you make something original. Really quick, I was just going to interject about wedding videography. Having done the training with the, the job I'm at, I'm, I'm content with it. I could make a 10-minute video saying that wedding videography is way easier than you think. Mm -hmm. And I think for photography, it's honestly harder, which I, I don't think would be very obvious. But with wedding videography, it's not the ability to hold a camera and, you know, it's really basic equipment. Of course, it costs money, but once you have the basic equipment, you're kind of good to go. The hard part is finding clients. The hard part yeah. is dealing with, I mean, working with people. The ability to hold a camera and like I had a lot of myths. I, I had a, a lot of myths busted about wedding videography where I thought you couldn't do it if you had one camera and realizing that it's not that hard yeah. really. And, you know, of course I'm basic and, you know, people really go all out. People get drones and there's so many ways I could upgrade my equipment, but the core of wedding videography is easy yeah. and it's the clients that are hard to get. Yeah. And you're on like zoom calls and like you call the pre-calls. Yeah. The yeah. wedding pre-calls. And I would have never thought about that. Like you, because they have things in mind that they need to communicate to you before the wedding. Yeah. And I don't think people think about that with videographers and I, I definitely don't, but all of that side hustle and like all that side work before the, the big day. Yeah. And here's what it brings up. Here's what it makes me think of is at the core of, you know, being a freelancer, whether it's videography, whether it's illustration is business and knowing how to communicate, knowing how to sell yourself, how to market yourself. And those business principles are what I've loved learning about since I was in high school. Mm -hmm. And now that I see that the connection between creativity is not only there, but they're inseparable. Yeah. And it's so with, almost essential. Yeah. You can't you can't do one without the other. With that, I want to transition, not really a transition, but to talk more about the business side of things. Cause again, between the artist and the content creator, the content creator has to think about business strategy. Mm -hmm. I want to talk a little bit about this idea and I'll I'll kind of explain it to you of 
big C creativity versus little C creativity. Okay. And I think I'm going to have like a paper scrap video that may or may not release before this, but like bear with me. C as in the letter. The letter C, okay. Like okay. capital C creativity versus little, okay. lowercase. Yeah. Um, little C creativity is the day-to-day work. The the post you make, the drawing you make. Big C creativity is the structure of your Instagram, the structure of your marketing, the structure of your brand, your website. And it's thinking about the overarching, what are my color schemes? Okay. What do I post how often do I post on a day or on a weekly basis? Um, what does my marketing outreach look like? I consider those all creative acts because if you do what everyone else is doing, you probably won't find the same success if you know it's kind of oversaturated with the the direct email. Maybe that's not effective anymore. Now you have to find a way to send them a video. And it's thinking creative methods for advertising, for marketing yourself. And I wonder, because I, I know at least I'm under the impression that a lot of your commissions and just work you've done have been referral based. Yeah. But have you ever considered, because you will have to get to that point, I think, uh, where you'll have to reach out to strangers or at least work with people you don't know well. Yeah. Um, and I wonder how much thought you've put into like the marketing and advertising of yourself, of Svillo. Right. It, it's kind of scary a little bit because a lot of my clients are just people that I know from home or school or parents, and they just understand what I do and what I can do. And so I haven't really had to worry about, and I need to, but how to communicate what I can do to people who don't know anything about that. And I have gotten some DMs on Instagram of people I don't know, and they're like, what do you do? Like, what's your prices? Could you do this? And I just haven't done them because they're they're not what I do. One of them was like a character design for an anime or like oh, a, okay. something like that where I'm like, there's someone more capable of doing that and that would like it more than I would. So I was just like, oh, you could probably look at this artist, but I wouldn't do that. And it, it kind of sucks because I'm like, I'm obviously not communicating what I want to do. And so part of me is like, I need to do it myself first. I need to illustrate something. So people, I just show them instead of, but I think, instead of just hoping that they understand it. But I think there's micro or like little C things I could do. Like in my daily posts, making sure each kind of tells a little story and isn't just like, wow, she can draw, but like, wow, look at that character is obviously going through something. Something like that, where making sure that the micro movements that I do are in line with the big movements and the big C that I do. Um, But that's definitely something I... Not struggle with but also need to educate more and yeah and i think i'm glad you used the word education because i think marketing and and advertising kind of has a a dirty spin Mm -hmm. on it for artists where you know i'm not gonna market this you know i'm making something beautiful why why do i need to advertise it and i think what we need to reconsider is that it's education people don't know you exist because you've never spoken up. And so part of your job as a content creator who, you know, has the artist inside of them who makes original innovative work is knowing how to speak about your art, knowing how to articulate it, articulate what you want to create, what you're currently creating. I think it's hard to explain our own style, our own voice, and maybe not even put it into words. But as I become more self-aware of it, I... I know how I write. Yeah. And because I know that, it doesn't like ruin it for me. I'm not like, ah, oh, I, s- 
I don't have any mystery anymore. It's like, and this is a very specific example, but with my blog post, I'll usually open up with like a list of like two or three things or my, I'll write the title out and my first line will just be a response to the title. So I almost treat it like a punchline um, as my opening sentence. And it, it's that weird process where I don't think anyone thinks about it like that, but I've done that and I have that awareness. So if I'm like, I basically create this muscle memory for writing where, you know, I have the title of an idea I'm like, here's the the line. And it's like, uh, boom, boom. And now it's going from there. And, you know, I don't have a perfect sense of my style, but you know, it's those little things of like, it helps me get in the groove by understanding that I need to do the quick one, two, and then I'll kind of roll from there. Yeah. And it's important. I think it's very important to know your process. It's just like tasting a really good soup and it's, it's exciting the first time because you're like, this is so good. I don't know what's in it. But if you want to make it again, or if people really like it and they want more, like you're going to have to kind of go through the nitty gritty of learning the ingredients and it might become less glamorous to you, but it's a process that is essential for recreating it. Yeah. And that is the idea of work that rhymes. And have you heard me talk about this? Like I under, I, yeah, but go yeah, ahead. pretty self-explanatory. I got it from Seth Godin who might've got it from someone else, but at its core, it's thematically related yeah. content. And like, I really like the soup example because with that idea, it's, you know, your first thing feels so creative. It, the artist made it, it came from nothing. Yeah. The second one, well, it, it rhymed with the first one. And, you know, sometimes with feature films, we kind of, knock the the sequel because oh it's campy they just stuck with what worked but that's what the content creator has to do on a a daily basis on a weekly basis and i think the reason it doesn't work for feature films is because i mean there's a total prediction but if you spent that much time on a film and not then it's like okay maybe you could have tried to do a little more innovation you had a year to work on this it's a big project it's not the little c creativity but yeah i guess just where i'm going with that is with that idea of work that rhymes, does it ever feel to you? Because, I mean, I would consider you've you've done challenges where, you know, uh, Inktober, you're doing the dog, doggest. Yeah. Um, and you've done your own challenges that you make up where you kind of write a little poem. Yeah. Has it ever felt like you're getting into it and you're like, I kind of just want to do something random, into innovative, uh, yeah. unrelated. But you're like, oh, I'm, I'm kind of stuck doing this. Maybe you could talk yeah. about that. I think... So there's this parallel up. So with the suit or the let's do the blog, the blog. This is a comparison. So you write a really good blog. You can either learn the structure, like you said, and write another good blog, or you can make a sequel of the blog. And I think the structure creates a rhyming piece. But if you hold on, hold on, hold on. So you're writing a blog, if you wanted to make one that relates to that blog, but you don't learn the structure, you're going to make a sequel to the blog. And people are going to be kind of annoyed because it's like, oh, it's the same thing, but it's again. That's why you need to learn the structure and the deeper underlying. It's the structure versus the idea. Idea, yeah. So, and then with the soup, I was kind of thinking of this too. If you recreate the soup, but just change a couple ingredients, people are going to get annoyed because it's a sequel. But if you learn how you made that soup, you're like, oh, I put broth and then I did a chicken for the base. And then I went from there to think about what spices. This time I'm going to do a, a like a milk and do a beef. I don't know. That'd be well, I, I think what just to go on that, it's like, okay, base liquid, 
a yeah. meat, yeah. different vegetables. That's the structure. That's the structure. And then, you know, like what you add, how you mix that up is... Right. So it's kind of like when movie directors, they're not making sequels. They make different movies. And they're successful. Wes Anderson's successful because he has his structure and his elements, his big C's and little C's, to make different movies that are related and that rhyme. But they're not sequels. They're not basing off others. And they're not leaning on the past success for support. Yeah. He he has his process already figured out. Yeah, yeah, and I think just for Wes Anderson specifically, you know, symmetry is not, you know, doesn't c constitute right. a sequel. No, it doesn't. But it, it makes work that rhymes. It makes it so you can identify his style. Right. Color color schemes, you know, if you have two films that, well, honestly, with Wes Anderson, it's not his color schemes that are identical. It's dullish but also colorful at the same time. It's like desaturated, desaturated rainbow. Yeah. And he picks a new rainbow every time, yeah. but he always, yeah, and he always follows that warmth kind of desaturated look, but yeah. he picks the colors new every time. So that, again, I think also constitutes big C yeah. creativity of the base structure. Yeah, so with the, the Instagram things, just not getting tied into it, like with the doggest. At first I was like, all right, I'm going to do like, this style and I'm going to try to do like a sketch of a dog and then a fun fact. But then the next one, I'm like, oh, I don't really want to do a sketch. I need to let myself kind of have that breathing room. So I'm not recreating the same thing, but it's kind of hard sometimes to find the difference between just the ingredients that you used and the, the structure of it and making sure that if you do run into that space of this is too tight, I can't create, expand it a little bit. And if you're a little overwhelmed, kind of shrink it and it's it's a growing process of those challenges which I think is good but like inktober is good because it's there's only one rule it has to be an ink mm -hmm. and so and even that's questionable yeah. but just draw whatever you can from that one prompt and then their rule to kind of make sure you're not just everywhere is put it in ink and so that get, constitutes enough space to be creative but within a scope of rhythm yeah and rhyming and yeah. i want to transition to the idea of being the leader being the platform being the community builder versus the little fish in the pond mm -hmm. um to me you know i think of something like 99 designs have you heard of that fiverr oh, yeah. Yeah. let's just use fiverr because i think that's a little bit everyone kind of has heard of it but it's a good thing for people who use fiverr I don't think it's a good thing for artists to to try to make a living selling kind of $5 editorial drawings um, and even $20. I mean, clearly, you know, I people pricing their work on their own, kind of on their own terms, would never price it that low. Yeah. But in that competitive environment, you have to kind of basically run yourself to the bottom if someone else is. Um, and I think obviously the the smart artists, the the artists with confidence, are going to say, you know, I'm worth more than this. Right. But what this brings up is technology, at least this current age of technology, the internet age, has been about creating platforms as kind of a, a broad generalization. Social media has been about creating platforms, creating communities. Mm -hmm. um, Fiverr, I, the list can go longer, but it doesn't need to. Yeah. And what? When we create platforms, the person who creates the platform wins. And everyone in kind of the, the platform is almost like a pawn in the game. Yeah. And 
that sounds a little bleak, and I think in, in some ways it, it should be bleak, but the reason I bring it up is because, and this goes back to our last episode where we talked about Canva, it's not the person who makes the individual elements that's you know getting rich or even just sustaining themselves. It's the person who knows how to utilize the tools best. And Fiverr is a tool, and it essentially makes you just the hand that draws. Right. And it's it's almost kind of, in my view, is like if you want to hit that rock bottom to figure out, cause sometimes you got to kind of go to Fiverr to figure out what you really want or work for a bad client to figure out what you, what you like. Um, I just listened to an episode about trade publishing versus self-publishing. And trade publishing basically is like when they give you it's those kind of educational books that they're written very simply and they, they want exactly these illustrations. There's no breathing room for creativity. Sometimes people do that to kind of build up that muscle, that muscle of drawing for someone, publishing for somebody. And through that, like this last book I did, I learned things that I want to do next book. And if it had been all my decisions, then I wouldn't have come across problems where I'm like, oh, I want that decision, not this. Yeah. It would have just been like too not specific. So it needs to be sometimes Fiverr and things like that are better to just kind of ground you and make you remember like why you're here and why you're working for, you know, your style. Yeah. So I think they're I think they're important to exist. I don't think you should live at rock bottom. Yeah. <laughs> like well, Fiverr. Uh, Casey Neistat, I've heard him say from a long time ago, the, the vlogger guy for people yeah. who don't know, but he was like, if you want to figure out what you really want to do in your life, work the crappiest job you can. And he worked as a dishwasher for years and he had like a little kid and he said all he did was dream about how he wanted to make videos and, and edit stuff and, and do something with a camera. Yeah. And the downside of an affluent society is – Sometimes people don't hit rock bottom unless yeah. they, they know how to find it. I mean, like no one's like, why would I seek out rock bottom? But sometimes sometimes you have to figure out what you don't want. Yeah, to figure out what you don't want. Because if you're constantly in the middle, never going too far one way or the other, then you're, you, you'll, you kind of get apathetic. You do. You get numb to it. And that's what – because I – I'm like, oh, if I'm a successful illustrator and have a kid, like, are they going to be, I don't want to kind of, hold on, <laughs> I don't want to mess up their chances of learning the struggles of an art career if they do do that or whatever. Yeah. Um, so I always think about like, how would I make sure that, because I obviously want to be successful, but I don't want to impose on their success by not helping or allowing them to experience the hard parts. Yeah. Well, I think really at this point, it's, we have to seek out our own struggle. And that's why I think creativity is awesome. That's really why I sink so much time to talking about it because to me, trying to create something from nothing will always be difficult. Yeah. Every day, I, oh, I, have to, I have to write a blog after this. Every day it's, like facing a blank page, I think is the best that I could do right now. You know, I can't try to, you know, run away from lions and tigers, right. but you know, it's finding that modern day equivalent and maybe it's not perfectly equivalent, but finding my own struggle for now mm -hmm. 
And sometimes if you're not presented all the struggles, you do need to find it. Yeah. Hollow victories is what I consider, you know, if you're good at something naturally, if you have natural talent, but it doesn't feel like you had to try to win something to have some victory. Yeah. That is the the modern day struggle, I think. Yeah. If, if everything comes easy, that's a curse. Right. I mean, it really is because if you don't struggle for anything, then you never have to appreciate anything unless you right. constantly seek out gratitude, which is kind of people are teaching that, which is good. Yeah. But for people who, you know, don't want to make a, uh, a life trying to write down everything they're grateful for. I think the other option is to seek out the creative struggle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because one of my favorite quotes is hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard. Yeah. So if you're, it's almost scary to, to have a talent and hope that it's working hard. So you need to make sure that you are a hard worker. The final note that I kind of want to hit on in this episode is, and really this is the biggest differentiator between the artist and the content creator, is the focus on your audience. Mm -hmm. And knowing that the audience has to come first. And, you know, maybe this isn't necessarily working with a client, which is, okay, yeah, the client has a vision. But I mean... For a personal brand, I think as an artist, you're allowed to not care about the audience and say, if they like it, they like it. If not, screw them. But the content creator has to be adapting to the audience and looking at data, which may not be abundant. Um, Because I think for myself, and I talked about this with Kara, but I I just don't have that much data to be like, people like this blog post a lot, but not, you know, I'm only getting like four or five hits. So it's not enough to make, uh, to base, you know, massive changes to, yeah. but the one thing I can do is, well, look at my work with fresh eyes from where I am now, or talking to your few kind of fans, talking to your small audience and just one-on-one. Yeah. Um, and like, you know, the conversations that we have, the conversations that I'll have with someone like my cousin, Zach, who's also going to be back on the podcast soon enough. Um, having those conversations just, I mean, they really guide me. Yeah. And just to remember content creator, the word content is in the name. Like content means somebody is going to look at it. It's a, it's a platform that somebody is looking at. It's not collection creator and it's not hidden in an attic boxes of creator. It's content. Somebody goes through content and you need to remember that you're making a collection of work for somebody to look through and to have a reaction to. Yeah. And, and this also kind of, brings up the the differentiation between a entrepreneur and an artist where obviously the entrepreneur knows they got to put the customer first because the only reason they're existing is to sell a product to a customer to better their lives, to add value. And I think the artist kind of can get away with because their personal struggle to create the art is so great that they, they allow themselves to believe that it doesn't really matter what the, the audience thinks. Yeah, the art gives the artist value and the content creator is looking to give that value to other people. Yeah, the way I put it is the artist goes from zero to one and the content creator goes from one to infinity. Like, Ooh, like the artist innovates and then the content creator sustains the innovation until the next iteration. Yeah. And, you know, how often does the artist need to innovate? That is really based on looking at the data. If you're not getting the the followers that you want, if you're not getting the reception that you want, if you're not making the sales that you want, yeah. 
that maybe it is time to innovate. And then you innovate of like the structure and then seeing if you need to iterate and constantly doing that until you achieve what you want. And the final thing I, I want to add about this is as much as the content creator can sometimes seem like a, a sellout from the outside looking in, their biggest asset is the ability to create on demand. Yeah. And I think the content creator doesn't buy into writer's block, doesn't buy into creator's block. And the artist allows themselves sometimes to fall into that trap. Mm-hmm. And in, in many ways, it makes the, the content creator feel more like a professional, which sounds crazy when you think of, because I, when I hear content creator, I think of like Jake Paul on YouTube and it's like, yeah. he's a professional? Yeah, he's a professional, even if we don't like to admit it, because um, it doesn't feel like art. It doesn't feel like anything special. Yeah, but he's going through the same process yeah. that other artists are going. He probably goes through his videos, somebody does, yeah. and is picking out what worked and what didn't work. Yeah. And he has that structure yeah. versus just making a video and hoping it's like his other ones. Exactly, yeah. And, and so as we kind of wrap this up, just to kind of, summarize the points we hit on. I think the big ones were thinking about what you can sell that adds value to your audience and putting your audience first in in many ways is the content creator's asset, their thing. Thinking about the big work or the the long-term work and the short-term work and realizing that short-term work can't have any excuses. Maybe you can put off the book another month, but your blog you're going to have to publish it every day. Yeah. Your Instagram post, you're going to have to publish it every day if you committed to that. And then considering that if you're new, part of the content creator's job is to be the marketer for your artistic self, be be the advertiser. And if we don't like the idea of marketing, consider it educating. Why is your message worth listening to? Yeah. Why are your ideas, why is your art worth looking at? Yeah, and if you can't get excited about what you're publishing or what you're creating, yeah, think of when you get eat at a really good restaurant and you're like, this place is so good, you need to try this and this. Nobody's paying you to advertise for that company. You just really liked their food and you honestly liked it so you don't feel bad about talking about this random pasta place. So if you make something good enough that you can excitedly tell somebody about without feeling bad or thinking that you're being a sellout, then that means that your content is good. But if you start kind of marketing your work and you feel this feeling of like, oh, I feel like a sellout or whatever, look at your works. Is it benefiting anybody? If it's not, then maybe your work needs to change before you market it. So I think marketing is good to kind of reflect your work. Mm -hmm. And I've heard it said as ethical selling where we talked about this at the very beginning with the Coca-Cola ad space. If you believe your product will add tremendous value to someone's life, why not do everything in your power to make the sale? If you really believe that, you know, without having that secondary doubt, because if you do have that doubt that uh, maybe I am kind of scamming them, you know, maybe, maybe some people would push that down. But for those who kind of can't live with that, reiterate until you figure out what's worth selling. Right. So the, I mean, the content creator, the whole moral of the story is keep iterating. Yeah, definitely. And keep reviewing. Let's say you, you sell something and then you realize like, oh, that's not as environmentally great as I thought it was. 
backtrack. Don't sell that anymore. Don't sponsor that anymore. Find something better. Because people are going to be like, oh, they're not doing that anymore. And they'll get it. But if you just kind of stick into something and you're like, oh, it's not great. But, you know, it's making making money. People are going to catch on and you're going to catch on. Yeah. So. And, and honestly, most, I think the best ideas come from kind of being disillusioned by something else, something that already exists. We talked about with the online courses, the best, most accurate online courses are probably going to be from the people who got disillusioned with school and had to figure out something on their own, not the person who watched a hundred online courses and kind of made their weird summary. It's the person who had to essentially figure something out because no one else was doing it. And the way you kind of get to that point to realize that I mean, I'd be curious what your thoughts are to get to that point. But for me, it's keep pushing the boundaries of what's never been done. And eventually you'll hit that point where, wait, no one's done this. I'm going to have to figure it out on my own. Yeah. And once you hit that point, you can figure it out because you're capable of that. And then maybe you can look back and say, you know, maybe this is really useful. Maybe it's worth teaching, but that's a secondary thing. Right. I completely agree. And I think the fear of being viewed as someone who's faking it is it's good to consider but people are going to know if you summarized other videos yeah. or if you learned something because it's that specificity that you can't really fake you can't pretend to run into a problem that you just heard about yeah. because you're not going to provide anything and you wouldn't even start a video like that so i think just doing what you need to do doing those daily posts doing whatever, pedaling fast, you're going to run into a problem and there's going to be a reason you didn't know about that problem. It's because you didn't learn about it anywhere. And that just creates a new opportunity for you to show other people it. And that's really why I think taking action, even if you don't kind of know the first step, even if you don't know, like maybe you know the first step and not the second one, just moving in any direction that leads to, to new opportunities because of what we just said. It's it's not that opportunities just show up when you move. It's that problems are realized when you're not standing still. Right. I heard it was on Andy JP's Pizza's podcast, but he's talking about teaching his kid how to ride a bike. And he was like, at the beginning, I wanted to tell my kid, like, make sure your helmet's on. Make sure you're pedaling fast enough. Don't steer too far. But he's like, I didn't tell him that, obviously, because I just wanted him to start pedaling and then realize it. He's like, you can't turn your bike until you're already moving. You can't balance until you're already moving. So you need to almost mindlessly start, like, underthinking and just do. And then you can slowly add thoughts to it. Yeah. and direction and decisions after you already have that momentum of moving. I thought the bike was really good because it's so like you can't do anything before you start pedaling. Yeah. And I think that's a universal kind of experience that mm-hmm. a lot of people have, have known in the metaphors for, you know, doing anything for the first time. That's obvious. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, so on that note, uh, I want to thank everyone for listening. I want to encourage everyone to, uh, Purchase the the Purple Elephant Artist book out on sale now um, on Amazon and just keep creating. Uh, there's definitely going to be more content, more interviews, more paper scraps. And just like everything we've talked about this, I'm going to keep iterating until, you know, my message comes through until I have enough clarity to figure out what I'm really trying to say, the change I'm really trying to make. And it's a slow process. It's not something that comes before you start riding the bike. You figure it out as you're riding. Hey guys, if you like this episode, but kind of wish there was more, 
something you could take action on rather than just passively listen, well then I highly recommend signing up for the Purple Elephant Collective Patreon. If you go for the second tier, the Baby Elephant, that'll unlock two bonus podcast episodes a month. And these are not normal paper scrap episodes or or bonus interviews. These are workshop-based, based around questions offered, questions you can answer, practical skills, something that you can use to set goals, change beliefs, get out of writer's block. Now, I'm making this because I think it's useful. I think passively consuming this content is helpful to an extent. But the difference between passively listening and taking action is night and day, which is why I highly recommend you check the link in the bio, go on the Patreon. There's a couple other cool tiers that you can look at on there. And I really hope you'll join the Purple Elephant Collective. This is what I envisioned. This is the community I imagined when I started building this brand out. Thanks for listening. This has been Purple Elephant Radio. Don't forget to subscribe, and we'll see you next week.